Last week, I reminded you that we are all in a spiritual war. Every person on the face of this earth, whether they like it or not, whether they want to be or not, is involved in a real struggle between light and darkness, good and evil, God and Satan. Now, please understand this. The light outshines the darkness. Righteousness triumphs over wickedness, and God has decisively defeated Satan once and for all with the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Spiritual warfare is then not something that we have to work hard at so that God can win. Spiritual warfare is something in which we must trust Christ because he has already claimed victory. Believers in God and Jesus are told to stand firm in his victory. And we do that by taking up and putting on the full armor of God. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I'll read verses 10 through 17 to you this morning as I preach this message, the full armor of God. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. There should be one on the back of the pew in front of you if you want to grab one there. Or you can uh, read the verses on the screen behind me. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17 together this morning. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything... To stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. In the Bible verses that we just read, we uncover the truth that the full armor of God enables us to stand firm in spiritual warfare. God wants you and I to put on and take up this full armor so that we can stand firm. But how do we put it on? How do we take it up in order that we can stand? Let's take a closer look at the background of these verses and of each of the pieces of the armor that's listed in verses 14 through 17. The Apostle Paul was the author of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, along with a couple other of his letters in the New Testament, are known as prison epistles. It's because he wrote them while he was in prison. He was imprisoned for preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. He had been arrested for 
causing an uprising against the Roman government, charged by the same group of jealous Jews that had demanded Jesus to be crucified. While Paul was in prison, he most likely was treated as regularly as any other Roman citizen awaiting trial in this time. This included a rotation of armed Roman guards there at his side virtually 24-7. So it's hard to imagine Paul writing these spiritual instructions to the Ephesian believers without having this picture of a Roman soldier wearing their armor in mind. Just in case you wonder, I'm going to share with you some of the historical descriptions about a Roman soldier's armor. And the descriptions that I share with you were compiled from first-hand Roman histories by a professor named Dr. Harold Honer, who taught at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary in the New Testament department. But I want you to remember that as we work our way through each piece of the full armor of God, the physical armor is just an illustration of the spiritual armor that we are to wear. So the emphasis is on the spiritual matters, not the other way around. It's not as important to comprehend the pieces and functions of a Roman soldier's armor as it is to understand the parts and purpose of our spiritual armor. Okay, Paul was writing not just about a belt, but about truth, and not just about a breastplate, but about righteousness. Another important idea as we examine this passage is that Paul thought of the armor of God as a package deal. In the same way that he wrote about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, he wrote about the full armor of God in Ephesians 6. And if, if you are walking by the Spirit, you don't get to pick and choose which of the nine attributes listed as fruit that you bear in the Christian life. You either bear love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, or you don't. It's the same way with the armor of God. In spiritual warfare, you're either dressed in the full armor of God, ready for battle, or you aren't wearing it. The word that Paul used for armor in verses 11 and 13 is perhaps better translated full armor. Some of the Bibles that you're reading will actually use that word or those two words this morning instead of simply armor. It is the full armor of God that enables us to stand firm in spiritual warfare. So first, verse 14, Paul says, put on the girdle of truth. Interestingly enough, the first piece of armor doesn't have an official name. Some call it the belt of truth. Others call it the girdle of truth. The text doesn't name a specific item. Rather, it uses a verb to be girded or to be belted with truth. Notice that this phrase also occurs in all capital letters in most English translations of the Bible. You see that on the screen behind me? Having girded your loins with truth. You see how that's in all caps? Yeah, all right, good. I'm glad you see it. Anytime you see a New Testament verse in all caps, it's because that's either a mirror quote or a direct reference to an Old Testament passage. You ever wondered that when you're reading your Bible, why some verses are in all caps? That's why. It's either a, a mirror quote or a direct reference to an Old Testament passage. In this case, the Old Testament reference 
is Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5. That verse is a prophecy about Jesus, who is called the righteous branch that is to come. In Isaiah 11, 5, the Bible says, Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. That's a good summarization of truth. Righteousness combined with faithfulness. Another way to put it might be consistent integrity. That's who Jesus was in his earthly ministry, and that's who he is as our Savior and Lord today. You'll notice that about the full armor of God. It's Jesus' wardrobe, so to speak. So really, when we think of putting on the full armor of God, we ought to think of putting on Jesus. Soldiers in Paul's day wore a leather girdle tightened about the waist to protect themselves and to hold their tunics together so that they wouldn't trip during battle movement. Soldiers also wore an outer belt so that they could carry their weapons and tuck away other gear for quicker access. And though there's some disagreement on whether Paul's illustration referred to an undergarment like a girdle or an external belt on which weapons of warfare could be carried, we understand Paul's point. Personal integrity is a primary matter in spiritual warfare. Personal integrity is a primary matter in spiritual warfare. A soldier's girdle kept him from tripping. And in a Christian's battle against the evil one, the belt of truth keeps us from stumbling. It's integrity that holds everything else together. When we do not put on truth in the big and small things of life, we set ourselves up to lose the battle. So think of it this way. Would people say that you are a man or a woman of integrity? Or better yet, when you look at yourself in the mirror to begin the morning, or when you lay your head on your pillow at night to go to sleep, can you live unconflicted with the words that you've spoken and the deeds that you've done? Satan is a liar and the father of lies. He seeks to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus, on the other hand, is the way, the truth, and the life. Who do you sound like when you talk? Jesus or Satan? Who do you look like in the way that you live? Jesus or Satan? Don't deceive yourself. Stand firm in spiritual warfare by putting on the girdle of truth. Second, the, the next phrase in verse 14, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate referred to a coat of mail or scale plates that covered a man's trunk or chest. In Paul's time, it was probably a metal plate worn over a leather jerkin or a coat of mail to protect the chest and back. The Roman historian Polybius wrote that the common soldier had a breastplate covering his chest to protect his heart, while wealthier soldiers had an entire coat of chain mail for both the front and back. The Old Testament quote about the breastplate of righteousness is from the description of Jesus, God's arm, in Isaiah 59.17. Isaiah 59.17 says, He put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal 
as a mantle. Righteousness is the spiritual breastplate that protects our heart. Not the bodily organ, but the seat of our affections. Righteousness keeps the heart pure. Satan wants to attack us with impurity. He does so by tempting us to commit sins of an immoral nature. He seeks to expose unprotected areas and cracks in our righteousness to gain an advantage over us and drag us into sin. But when we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we are laying aside our self-righteousness. Our self-righteousness says, I'm a good person, I've got this. When we take up the righteousness of Jesus, Jesus' righteousness says, you're not a good person. But Jesus is good, and he places his goodness as protection around you. Jesus himself taught in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I wonder this morning how God sees your heart. Because he does. Whether you're wearing the breastplate of righteousness that Paul wrote about, or you're just sitting there clothed in your own righteousness deceiving other people. Can the Heavenly Father see the righteousness of His Son in you? Are you protected by the righteousness of Christ, or are you still clothed in your own self-righteousness? Stand firm in spiritual warfare by putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15, Paul says, put on the shoes of peace. A Roman soldier needed to maintain solid footing on the battlefield. His shoes were like thick layered leather sandals with straps that wrapped around up the back of the heel, the ankle, and even to the lower portions of the calf. Oftentimes, these shoes would have hobnails in the sole, kind of like ancient football cleats, so to speak. Okay? These shoes were not primarily designed for running, but rather for keeping a firm foundation, a brace against twisting providing traction on the ground so one didn't slip and fall. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, the Redeemer of God's people, Jesus, speaks to the ones He has come to set free. Listen to this description of Him in Isaiah 52, 7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who announces peace, and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, Your God reigns. In Christ we find peace. Not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God during the trials we face. This tranquility gives us the ability to maintain a firm stance against satanic attacks, so that we're not moved here, and there, with every evil blow that he sends our way. The devil wants to knock us off of our feet. But when we put on the shoes of peace and stand on the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again, there is absolutely nothing that the devil can do to shake us out of our spiritual stance. It's not so much that our feet are strong, it's that we're standing on the good news of peace. Jesus encouraged his disciples 
in John chapter 14, verse 27, when they were worried and anxious and afraid and troubled, he told them, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. What worries, stresses, anxieties have you faced over this last week? Because we've all faced something, many of us some things. Were you able to maintain solid footing through the peace of knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord? Adrian Rogers said this, Jesus gives peace, and unless you have peace, you can never make war. We are already all in a spiritual war, and it's a war that God wants us to win. We win by standing firm. We stand firm in spiritual warfare by putting on the shoes of peace. And then Paul moves into a kind of a different way of talking about the armor of God in verse 16. With those first three pieces of armor, he said, you need to put on. You need to put on the belt of truth. You need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. You need to put on the shoes of peace. But he starts to use a different verb in verse 16. He says, you need to take up these elements of the armor of God. The first is the shield of faith in verse 16. Paul turned his attention from pieces of armor that soldiers would wear to the parts of the armor that the soldiers would hold or bear. So instead of wearing the shield of faith, we are told in verse 16, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now check this uh, description out of a Roman soldier's shield. It was around two feet wide by four feet high. It was made of wood, covered in leather, and then trimmed out with metal, especially on the bottom in case they needed to stick it in the ground. It had a handle on the back to carry and to use to brace oneself. Enemy archers and javelinists had discovered the technique of dipping arrows in oil and spears in oil and then lighting them before firing them and throwing them at their targets. For this reason, shields were vital components of a soldier's armor. The skins and hides that covered the shields would extinguish incendiary arrows, preventing the wood underneath from catching fire. Furthermore, before battle, the shields were immersed in water, soaking the leather cover and canvas beneath the leather, which also aided in extinguishing the flaming missiles that had gotten stuck in the shield on impact. This picture Paul had in mind, no doubt, because he knew that Satan is going to throw, launch, and shoot every flaming arrow of doubt, confusion, and chaos at us that he possibly can. Satan wants you to question God's truth. He wants you to believe his lies, and he wants you to forget the main objective in spiritual warfare. The devil knows that a small spark can ignite a big fire. When we take up the shield of faith, we are arming ourselves with belief in an all-powerful God. And that quenches the fiery darts that the evil one sends our direction. Have you taken up the shield of faith? Do you believe what God has said? And are you going forward with faith in front of you? 
Not just going off on your own, thinking that you can handle it, but trusting God at His Word. Stand firm in spiritual warfare by taking up the shield of faith. And the next, the first part of verse 17, Paul says, Take up the helmet of salvation. You might think it's strange that the helmet of salvation is not listed first in the panoply, which is the full armor of God. Anybody else think that's weird? Be salvation, we think that's the most important thing as a Christian. Why would Paul put it as the fifth piece of this armor and not the first? Allow me to explain why Paul places this item here and not sooner. First, in keeping with his illustration about the armor of a Roman soldier that, that they would wear and bear, the helmet was not put on until after the other pieces. Uh, the helmets were made of metal and sometimes a little combination of leather, but the helmet was heavy and the helmet was hot. You didn't wear the helmet unless it was time for battle, but when it was time for battle, you made sure to put it on. The second reason why Paul doesn't mention this piece of armor first in the list is because he was writing to people who were already Christians. Okay? Now try to think about this. The helmet of salvation. If I'm already saved, why do I have to put on this helmet of salvation? Paul wasn't telling these people that they needed to be saved. He was reminding them that they were saved. And he was telling them of the necessity that they need to be assured of their salvation. Now just let me pause the sermon here for a moment, okay? Hope you'll give me that liberty. If you're here this morning and you've never been saved, before you try to put on this spiritual armor, you need to be saved. I mean, here's how it works. The full armor of God is for warriors who are fighting in God's kingdom. If you've not been saved, you're on the wrong side of the war. You've got to turn away from your sins. You've got to believe that God's son Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, and you've got to surrender complete control of your life to him. So if you're here this morning and you haven't been saved, we're going to have a time of response after the sermon. And I challenge you to just walk up here and say, Jake, I need to surrender control of my life over to Jesus. And I need to be saved. All right, we're going to unpause the sermon now. Is that okay? Just pick up your remote, unpause it. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, I wonder if you know that you are a Christian. I mean... I've talked to all kinds of people, all kinds of people, who think that they're saved. But I want to ask you this question, do you know that you're saved? Many Christians don't have security and they don't have spiritual sanity because they honestly wonder many times whether they're going to heaven or hell when they die. God doesn't want you to wonder. He wants you to know. Did you know that you can know that you're saved? Did you know that God wants you to know that you're saved? Listen to this verse. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. If you had spiritual doubts about your salvation, write that down. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Listen to this verse. 
These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not so that you can think that you have eternal life, not so that you can dream that you have eternal life, not so that you can hope that you have eternal life, so that you can know that you have eternal life. Maybe you want to know that you're saved, but you don't know. And now you're wondering, what in the world do I need to do? Let me share this with you. Simply trust Jesus to save you. I'll give you some more practical direction. Go back through what I just shared a few moments ago to those who are here today and have not been saved. Ask yourself this question. Have I trusted that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins? Yes or no? Ask yourself that question. Answer this next question. Do I believe that Jesus rose again from the dead? Yes or no? Do you believe that? And finally, have I given myself to Jesus to be the new commander of my life? Yes or no? If you answered yes to all of those questions, then put on the helmet of salvation. You're saved. The devil wants you to doubt. God wants you to know that you're saved. If you answered no to one of those questions, then come to Jesus and be saved. Do you know what the best thing that a church member could do or the best thing that a person who is a Christian could do? Get saved? I know it sounds weird, but I remember sitting in a class with Dr. Allison over at Mid-America Seminary like for an entire year. And there were times at the end of every class that he would look at us and he'd say, Preachers, you know what the best thing you can do would be if you get saved? Look, man, God sees through the facade that people put on. We all put it on at some point or another. How about instead of pretending like you're a Christian and saying that it's all good because your name is on the church roll, that you actually give your life to Jesus today and get saved? Are you wearing the helmet of salvation? When you put it on, you stand firm in spiritual warfare. And at the end of verse 17, Paul says, Take up the sword of the Spirit. The last piece of the full armor of God is the only offensive weapon mentioned. A gladius, also known as the Spanish sword, was the most common weapon of a Roman soldier. Its double-edged blade was two inches wide and two feet long. It was admirably suitable as a cut-and-thrust weapon for close work. As Christians, our spiritual sword is the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 describes the Word of God like this. Hebrews 4, 12. For the Word of God is living and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. Some of you remember the Bible story in Luke chapter 4 about Jesus being tempted by Satan in the wilderness three times. But even if you know it, turn over there with me. Let's look at the verses in that story, Luke chapter 4. I think they'll be on the screen if you're too lazy to turn. All right. So either way, just listen. Jesus had just been baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, and then he went into solitude 
and to spend time with God in prayer and fasting before his public earthly ministry began. Let's read about the first of uh, Satan's temptations to Jesus over in Luke chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It says, And the devil said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. You notice anything about verse 4? You see some words in all caps there? All right, hang on. Let's read about the second temptation. Look at verses 5 through 8. And Satan led Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to Jesus, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Anybody notice anything about verse 8? What do you see about that printed text? It's in what? It's in all caps. You remember what it means when a New Testament verse is in all caps? It's either a direct quote or reference to an Old Testament passage. When Satan came to tempt Jesus, what did Jesus use to thwart his attacks? God's Word. He used Scripture. Now, I want you to see something else. Uh, Verses 9 through 12, the third temptation. And Satan led Jesus to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written... He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Something different happens there, doesn't it? Anybody notice what Satan does? Satan quotes scripture. Satan was trying to use God's word to get Jesus to sin. He misquoted and misinterpreted God's word when he tempted God's son. And he will do the same thing with you and me. But Jesus was not fooled. He knew God's word. He knew what God's word said and he knew what God's word meant. I think we learn a couple of things from Jesus about taking up the sword of the spirit. First, we need to memorize Bible verses. We need to memorize Bible verses. Look, Scripture memory is not just for kids in Awana on Wednesday nights. Man, I'm telling you, if you guys will take God's Word and hide it in your heart, it'll be ready for you to thrust at Satan when he comes your way with his slippery serpent tongue trying to deceive you. The second thing we we, uh, learn from Jesus here is that we need to study God's Word regularly so that we don't make an error about what God's Word means. There are all kinds of people who say all kinds of things about what God has said in the book, the Bible. Maybe it's time that you stop only listening to what people say about Scripture and pick it up and read it for yourself. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says this, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Are you accurately handling the word of truth? 
Or is your Bible a little dusty because it's been sitting on the bedside table for too long? Pick up God's Word. It is the sword of the Spirit. Use it. Are you going with what others say about God's Word? Or are you personally standing on God's truth? I'm going to have a little bit of fun here for a few minutes, if that's okay. I've heard a couple of comments and questions this week about where this pulpit has been. I just bear with me for a moment, okay? The, the, pulpit, the pulpit will make its return, all right? It, it'll be back. But I wanted to bring this point home to you this morning, and I thought it would be a good way to do it. I wonder if we're more concerned with making sure a preacher stands behind a wooden podium than if a preacher is standing on God's word. And here's what I mean by this, and you might go, Jake, I don't like that. That's fine. Here's what I mean by this. A person can stand behind a pulpit and preach the truth, but a person can stand behind a pulpit and tell a bunch of lies. Listen, because somebody standing up here on a Sunday morning behind a sacred wooden desk doesn't mean that everything they say is truth. When a person stands on God's word and preaches, that is when they are speaking truth. God's word doesn't come from man, but it should come through man because we're spending time in his word. So let's take our stand on God's truth and not the traditions that we make up. Are you standing firm in spiritual warfare? You personally, by taking up the sword of the Spirit. The challenge for you today is simple. Have you put on and have you taken up the full armor of God? The girdle of truth, that's the believer's integrity. The breastplate of righteousness, that's the believer's purity. The shoes of peace, that's the believer's tranquility. The shield of faith, that's the believer's certainty. The helmet of salvation, that's the believer's sanity. The sword of the Spirit, that's the believer's weaponry. If you're not a Christian, you need to come to Jesus today so that you can have the full armor in Him necessary for victory and spiritual warfare. If you are a Christian, you need to dress yourself in the full armor of God. Have you prayerfully put on Jesus, or are you trying to fight the battle on your own? Jesus is truth. He is purity. He is peace. He is real. He is sure. He is victorious. Are you standing firm in Him, or are you stumbling and failing on your own? Put on and take up the full armor of God so that you can stand firm in spiritual warfare. Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? I mentioned to you earlier that there would be a time of response after the sermon. That is this time. I trust that God has spoken to your heart today as we've opened his word. Because anytime we open up God's word, God has the tendency to open us up. He sees our hearts, he sees our minds, he goes back through our words, he reminds us of the actions that we've taken. He sees even our attitudes. How is God speaking to your heart this morning? You need to 
surrender your life to Jesus and be saved today? Do you need to put on and take up the full armor of God so that you can stand firm in spiritual warfare? Do you need to come forward and join our church this morning as a part of this spiritual family? Do you need to surrender your life in service to Jesus as a missionary, as a preacher of the gospel? I'll be standing down here in the front if you need to come and speak with me or if you want to come and pray with me. As God calls you this morning, will you come to him? Split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears were drowned in perfect love. You rescued me so I could stand and sing. I am a child of God, and I am.
joy to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with each and every one of you today. I hope that you'll be back tonight, or this afternoon, I guess, for Sunday Without Walls, 4.30 p.m., just outside in front of the church. If you are helping uh, set up and volunteering to, to help us work and run Sunday Without Walls, please meet out here on the front steps at 4 p.m. We're going to have just a, a word of prayer together and then we'll break out and get everything set up that we need to. If you're already going to be setting up and working before that time, if you can take a break and come pray with us, please do so. If not, thank you for working where you are, and just take a moment to pray that God would bless, bless the night, wherever you may find yourself. I'm going to introduce to you a couple of folks, and then we'll be dismissed. I don't know if I need to introduce them to you, but they've been visiting for quite some time now. This is uh, Trevor and Vanessa Babcock. Uh, Trevor is an English professor out at Williams Baptist University, and they've got a couple of little kiddos, Kai and Ness, and they keep Vanessa and Trevor busy, I guess, most of the time. So they want to come and join our church family this morning, and they, they are members, I know it's a church in Indiana, I forgot Exodus. to tell Exodus Church. Exodus Church in Indiana. So they come this morning ready to join this family and to follow the Lord faithfully alongside of us. So, church, I ask you this question. Would you promise to be a good church family to Trevor, to Vanessa, to their family, and to help them grow in their walk with the Lord? If you would, say amen. 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 Trevor and Vanessa, would you promise to be faithful church members here who help us grow in our faith walk with the Lord? Amen. amen. Good deal. Well, we're glad to have them this morning. Please... If you guys would, make sure to come by, shake their hands, tell them hello, get to meet them if, uh, if you haven't had the opportunity to do so yet. We'll be dismissed with this song, and we'll see you back tonight. All right, we're going to sing verse 1 of the song that we sang during the offering, Waymaker. We'll sing uh, verse 1, we'll go to the bridge, and then we'll go to the chorus, all right?